Mark chapter 17. Mark 14, sorry. That, that can't be right. There's no, <laughs> there is no Mark 17. Would have made for an interesting uh, text. And then uh, the catechism lesson is the last two questions of the shorter catechism. And that's on page 877. Seventy-seven on in the back of the red hymnal. Mark fourteen, beginning in verse seventeen. The night of Jesus' betrayal. Mark 14, beginning in verse 17, we'll read God's Word and then we will read the Catechism answers together. Hear God's Holy Word, Mark 14, verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? 
It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Question 106 in the Shorter Catechism. Let's read the answers together. This is page 877 of the Trinity Hymnal. Let's read the answers with one voice. Questions 106 and 7. Beloved, what do we pray for in the sixth petition? In the sixth petition, which is, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. What doth the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer teach us? The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, which is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen teacheth us to take our encouragement in prayer from God only, and in our prayers to praise him, ascribing kingdom, power, and glory to him, and in testimony of our desire and assurance to be heard, we say, Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, imagine that a teacher says to her class, at some point in this school year, I will surprise you with a very important pop quiz, and it will be at a time where you likely will not expect it or be prepared for it. And for that reason, I suspect many of you will not do well, but it is going to count for a good portion of your grade. So, Be diligent, always stay totally on top of the material, and if you are, if you are always understanding the the, the material, then you will be fine. But study and be ready. A young student from that class later tells his parents about this arrangement at the dinner table. His parents, wanting the young boy to do well, advise that he take the teacher's advice and stay on top of the material. The boy genuinely commits to doing just that. But as we see so often in situations like this, and I chose boy because I feel like boys probably let this slip a little bit more than girls, watchfulness wanes and readiness deteriorates. The parents may see the boy watching TV or playing video games one night, and they ask him, are you on top of the material in that class? The boy says, well, sort of. But we've already had about 100 days of school already. I think that just passed for most students. The pop quiz has never come. My teacher is probably going to make it right at the end of the year so that she can uh, use most of the material from all of what we've covered in class. Well, the boy says that, and of course, as these things tend to go, when is the pop quiz going to be? The next, very next morning. When the quiz is administered, the boy, once ready for the quiz, now is not. And he has learned that watchfulness and readiness are only useful if they are consistent 
and if we are diligent in keeping up with them. The same principle holds, of course, for our spiritual lives. Here in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells the twelve that they will fall away, all of them. He tells them this the night of the Last Supper, the night of his betrayal. You will all fall away, Jesus says, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Peter and the others, but firstly Peter, say that this will definitely not happen. Trying to show uh, Jesus and prove to him that they are strong enough to withstand any trial, no matter what lies in front of us. We are not going to fall away from you. Peter say, I will not fall away from you. That declaration from Jesus seems to provide the background for the scene in Gethsemane. That that seems to be in the mind of, of the gospel writer here when Jesus then says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. What is the temptation going to be? Well, it's going to have something to do, we would conclude, with this falling away that is about to happen, knowing that that Jesus' life has come to this point of of culmination. The idea that the twelve minus Judas would desire to be ready and watchful seems obvious coming off of Jesus' warning. If they are so determined to stand strong, if they are so confident that they will, they should learn from Jesus. What does Jesus do? He goes often to prayer in order to receive strength from His heavenly Father. And perhaps this kind of instruction, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, perhaps it's it's only for the twelve on this night. Perhaps it's not useful for us today. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Is that something that our Lord wants us to do? Are, Are these instructions that we can take for ourselves? Is there a lesson here that we can learn from the disciples in that they are not watchful? They are not prayerful, and they do enter into temptation. Well, here, just a quick survey of other scriptures. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 says this, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Ephesians 6, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Let your prayerfulness lead into alertness. 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The enemy is there to destroy your profession, to destroy your uh, life of holiness. So be alert and be watchful. Earlier in Mark 13, which seems to provide some background to what goes on in chapter 14 that we're considering tonight, Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. There he's speaking uh, the the return of the Son of Man, but alertness, watchfulness is all of of, of a piece of this this same kind of picture. The Christian life is a, a pursuit of godly obedience within the context of God's grace And that leads us into readiness for our Savior. Colossians 4 verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Not only be prayerful, but be watchful. It is very obvious then that this is a, a universal prescription. We are to be watchful. We are to be prayerful. 
We are to be on our guard against many things, but especially against the seasons of temptation which come our way. Watchfulness and prayerfulness are two of the most useful things in our battle against temptation. Really, that's, the, that's essentially the whole of the instruction. The, the temptations that we face in life, against them we are to be watchful and we are to be prayerful. In the context of the Lord's Prayer, we pray this because we're praying for God's protection from temptation and for His strength, His sustaining grace within temptation. Like the student in class who knows a pop quiz is coming, just not when, so we know that there will be temptations in our lives. We know that these are things that we're going to face. Furthermore, similar to the apostles, we know that there will be stumblings and failures due to our own lack of readiness. So all of this works together to encourage us to watch and pray that we would not enter into temptation. So tonight's meditation will progress this way. First, we have the, medi- the, the danger of temptation, the danger of temptation. Second, how to be watchful against temptation. And third, the necessity of prayer. The danger of temptation, how to be watchful against temptation, and the necessity of prayer. First, the danger of temptation. The first point that we highlight is uh, that, the danger of temptation. It's a clear sign of someone's thinking lightly of sin, that he is not wary of temptation to sin. The Puritans would speak of being bold upon temptation or bold upon the occasions of sin. That's not a a good boldness. That's not a boldness that they were commending. Imagine an alcoholic spending his time uh, at night in bars and taverns. That's what it means to be bold upon the occasions of sin or bold in temptation. It's a lack of seeing one's own weaknesses and acknowledging one's own weaknesses and propensities to fall into sin. This is uh, something that parents fear often when they see children choose a social group which is, is known for engaging in sinful behavior. A teenage girl makes friends with a group known for partying and drinking. She tells her parents she likes them as people. She, she is friendly with these people. She, she likes them. She finds them fine. She doesn't approve of their activity, of course. She will easily say no to all of these things. Of course, we read in Scripture that we need to be careful of the company we keep, that bad company uh, corrupts character. We must be careful of those around whom we We spend our time. John Owen comments on just this sort of thing. He says that people who reason this way are almost all, quote, lost and become after a while in love with the evil which they first abhorred, that evil which they first hated. They join some group of people. They say, well, I'm friendly with them, but I say no to these things, but I'm going to involve myself. So often you see it go uh, the way we would not want it to. You can extend the example much beyond social situations, being bold in temptation. The man addicted to pornography keeps keeps a computer and a phone connected to the internet and all to himself and doesn't show them to anyone. The woman who engages in, in fantasy reading walks around certain sections of the bookstore. The man addicted to sports betting keeps the app on his phone just so he can sort of check the lines of every game, just so he can kind of know... Uh, the information of them. 
Many people would accuse someone who would guard against these things of being legalistic. I would say, you're being too legalistic. You're, you're, you're kind of going beyond the bounds of Scripture, but that's not it at all. It's understanding and knowing yourself, your propensity to sin, and not being bold upon the occasion of sin. Thomas Brooks says this in his great classic on sin and temptation, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He says, to venture upon the occasion of sin and then to pray, lead us not into temptation, is all one as to thrust your finger into the fire and then pray that it might not be burned. So one of the best remedies against this temptation, because this is a device of the enemy to, to make you bold upon the occasions of sin. No one can, uh, the, perhaps the person addicted to gambling, no one can tell you that it's wrong to walk into the casino. So walk in. That's what it means to be bold upon the occasions of sin. And that is a device of the enemy convincing you that you can do such a thing and not worry about it. It won't be a problem. And so the remedy against this very thing is to consider that there is ordinarily no conquering sin, no mortifying sin, no putting sin to death in your life unless you first shun the occasion of it. That is how you see sin dead at your feet, that you hate it so much that you will not be bold upon the temptation to that very sin. And it presents us with a very important question when you're thinking about sin and temptation. And this is the question. Do you really fear sin? Do you actually fear what it can do to you? I don't mean to, to, to be afraid uh, against the forces of evil or to be strong and confident in the lives that we live, of course. But are we afraid in a sense of, of knowing the consequences of sin and sinfulness? Do we know what it can do to our lives? Do we know how it can ravage us? And we say, knowing these things, that because of that we stay far from it. John Owen, he says, let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear its temptation. They are so nearly allied so that you cannot separate them. Satan has put them so together that it is very hard for any man to put them asunder. He hates not the fruit who delights in the root. So the the first point is the danger of temptation and asking us whether or not we fear sin. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation, are we praying from a heart that knows how dangerous temptation and sin are? Are we praying from a heart that, has, that postures itself in such a way that it will not be bold in temptation, that it will not be bold upon the occasions of sin, but seeks to cut it off at the root with God's help. If we are to pray that petition in the Lord's Prayer, we need to engage these things with a sincere and genuine heart against all of these things. First, the danger of temptation. Second, instructions for watchfulness instructions for watchfulness. Not only do we need to engage these things from a sincere heart, but we also must put forth efforts not to enter into temptation. Again, we, we used the example just a few minutes ago, a gambling addict wandering into a casino. 
Imagine he does so, and he falls into temptation. He loses all of his money, and then he yells to God, I prayed that you would not lead me into temptation. What went wrong? I was praying, God. I prayed that every day, that you would not lead me into temptation. Well, we see what the problem is. Someone who is not sincerely and genuinely uh, working to keep himself from temptation. So first thing that we need to, to, to do or know about watchfulness is that we need to have a knowledge of ourselves. We need to be honest when we assess ourselves spiritually, asking God to help us think through the issues of, of temptation. Again, we go back to, to John Owen, who ha, has written so much wonderfully on sin and temptation. He says, let him that would not enter into temptation labor to know his own heart. Just that sentence alone, we can sort of pause and ask ourselves, am I laboring to know my own heart? Now, in some sense, we, we could probably say immediately, if someone were to say, in a moment of, of transparency, what are the, the temptations that you struggle with? What are the, the sins that you struggle with? We, we know, but do we labor to know our own hearts and, and, and why we have been led in certain ways of sinfulness? Let him labor to know his own heart, to, to, to be acquainted with his own spirit, his natural frame and temper, his lusts and corruptions, his, his natural sinful and spiritual weaknesses, that finding where his weakness lies, he may be careful to keep at a distance from all, here's this phrase again, occasions of sin. Of course, we do so by engaging in a, in a, in a positive pursuit of holiness and righteousness, Psalm 18 says this, I have kept the ways of the Lord. So in this passage, we read a few verses here. But at the very beginning, he is submitting to the wisdom of God. He is submitting to the ways that have been placed before him, not the way that he wants to live life coming from his own heart and mind. I submit to the ways of God. I submit to the ways of the Lord. And then he says this, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. You keep the ways of the Lord. You do not wickedly depart from him. You keep his rules before you. His statutes you do not put away from you. Have you ever experienced that in your own heart and, and, and life? You you feel as if it would be good to, to, to meditate or to chew on something that God has placed before you in His Word, but you kind of shut that out because you don't want it to confront perhaps what's going on in your heart. You're, you're treasuring some measure of sinfulness that you don't want to part with. Again, you, you, can, you can imagine how some people would lob accusations of legalism here. You're being legalistic. Because the occasions of sin often do not strike people as sinful in themselves. To suggest that to go to a buffet dinner would be wrong would make, surely invite all kinds of accusations of legalism. But to the glutton, the wise course of action may be to make a decision to avoid it altogether. You must know yourself. You must know what causes you to be tempted to sin, what causes your indwelling sin to rise up within you. And you must seek to cut off temptation at the start. Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Guard your heart, for it is from that heart that the issues of life 
will flow out. So we begin by knowing oneself. We also ought to know when is it that temptations tend to arise in the life of the believer? When is it that temptations tend to arise? Well, taking our cue from Mark 14, the passage before us, one season in which temptations will tend to arise is a season of self-confidence. This was the issue with Peter, wasn't it? Peter said to him, verse 29, even though they all will fall away, Jesus' closest disciples, those who have given their lives to him, right? Even though they all will fall away, I will not, Peter says. Jesus said to him, truly, I, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. I could go to my death. It's not going to happen, Jesus. Notice how Peter compares the strength of his profession and the strength of his faith to the other disciples, to those who are around him, believing that he loves Jesus more than they do. And note, it seems a little bit different when Jesus restores Peter at the end of the Gospel of John, when Peter is prompted, almost prompted by Jesus to, to compare himself. They had finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter, he does say, yes, Lord, but he doesn't compare himself with the others. He says, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. you, can, you can, we've reflected upon this with Peter having breakfast with Jesus. And, and you just sense in John 21, what's really going on is that Peter wants to convey that no matter what else is going on around him, he wants Jesus to know that he loves him. So we need to be careful about self-confidence. 1 Corinthians 10, which is uh, given in the, in the context of temptation there, Paul says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. When is your soul, when is your heart in danger of entering into temptation? A season of self-confidence. Pride goes before destruction, Proverbs 16, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's a season of self-confidence. We need to be aware of that. We need to continually humble ourselves before God and pray for a grace-filled humility. Again, taking our cue from Mark 14, another season of temptation is a slumber of grace and duty. The apostles fall asleep repeatedly, you know, frustratingly. Jesus continues to return. He warns them, watch and pray. Are you sleeping? Are you still asleep? Can you not stay awake? Jesus rebukes them. And it's not only a physical drowsiness. That's kind of the way that, that uh, this passage operates. There's this kind of mysterious and wondrous duality here. There's a spiritual drowsiness in what they are doing. He's angry that they cannot pray for one hour. Why would, would Jesus be angry with them for being physically exhausted? He's, he's rebuking them because spiritually they have fallen into drowsiness. They're not being alert. And if our hearts grow cold to the things of God, to worship, to private prayer and secret prayer, if we grow merely formal in the things that we do in, in, in our worship, at checking the box off of what we have on our to-do list, you are especially 
vulnerable to temptation. Again, I'll quote Owen. He says this, are you, are you negligent in the duties of hearing and praying? Or if you do them, do you lack the vigor in them that you once had? If you are drowsing in such a condition as this, beware, you are falling into some woeful temptation that will break all your bones and give you wounds that will last a lifetime. Again, it goes back to that first point, knowing the danger of sin and temptation. You allow your heart to grow cold to the things of God, and you stand vulnerable to temptation and sin that will give you scars that will last for a lifetime. The slumber of, of, of grace and duty. And then finally, this one comes uh, not explicitly from Mark 14, but times of great spiritual excitement are also seasons in which we need to be careful of, uh, of falling into temptation. In moments where we say to ourselves, I have such joy and contentment in God that I will never be unfaithful to Him again. An example of this would be you sort of come back from a, a spiritually focused trip or some kind of convention and you have great encouragement in your faith, but oftentimes what we find is that in such seasons like that, temptation will meet us because there's kind of a, a, a mismatch between our excitement for the things of God and our encouragement in the things of God and really the knowledge that is needed for true spiritual maturity to come forth. Our prayer is that in times of great spiritual encouragement, of great spiritual excitement, that that would bring us back to the Word of God and that we would actually spend time in God's Word, giving ourselves to it, so that spiritual maturity would flow forth from it. All of that to say we need to be watchful and know when temptations might come to meet us. So we end tonight with the necessity of prayer in fighting temptation. The first thing that we need to observe is that there's nothing in our own power. There's nothing in our own power to keep us from temptation or to make us stand in temptation. That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we must pray. We must pray knowing that in our lives we will face temptation to sin. We must see then that our attitude towards prayer and our returning often to prayer is a means of God strengthening us and keeping us in the midst of, te of temptation. More time praying will equal less time falling into temptation. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we read that by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How are you keeping yourself safe spiritually until your death, until Christ's return? You are not. God is keeping you. And you need to begin everything you know about your spiritual life with that truth. God is the one who keeps you. You are kept by God's power through faith. And that will keep you praying. God uses prayer as a means to preserve us. In prayer, because it's such a clear picture of faith and reliance upon God, when God's children come to Him 
and we come to him prayerfully with the proper posture, what we are doing is we are engaging his compassion and his grace because a a heart of a sincere praying believer is a heart that says, God, I love you, I trust you, and I need you. As a father, there's perhaps no time where I feel more needed and appreciated, even though this is very frustrating for me in uh, the fact that it means less sleep. But there's perhaps no time where I, I feel more needed and appreciated as in the middle of the night, my young child has a, a coughing fit and he is desperate, but when I take him into my arms, he calms down. And I put him up into my arms and I say, I'm here. I love you. You're okay. Take a deep breath. He wants to rest on me. And when I see that he is uh, desperate to want to rest on me, he engages my compassion so that I'm fully content to be there for him and to help him. We rest on our Heavenly Father in our hearts when we sincerely pray. And out of compassion, He engages His grace for us. So we take the mentality that we are helpless in the midst of temptation. The child who has a coughing fit doesn't feel like he can get himself out of it, and so the parent helps him through. When we pray, we're saying we know the danger but we don't have the strength to stand. We need his strength so that we might flee. In prayer, we exercise our faith on God's promises. That's one of the things that we ought to do. We, we pray for the things that God has promised. God has promised to keep us in all our ways. He has promised to lead the humble in what is right and to teach the humble his way. Indeed, God has promised to lead us on the way of holiness, Isaiah chapter 35. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. I need that promise pretty often because I feel like a fool often. Even if they are fools, they will not go astray if they give themselves to this God. 1 Corinthians 10, we we mentioned it all already. That's where God says uh, that not only will there never be any temptation that overtakes us that is not common to man, but that God is faithful, that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. So when we pray that the Lord would keep us from temptation, or protect us in the midst of temptation, or strengthen us in the midst of temptation, we are engaging that very promise, 1 Corinthians 10, that God is faithful, that He does not force us to meet temptations that are too much for us, and that in every temptation there is a way of escape. We pray, lead us not into temptation, and that becomes a primary means to preserve us from temptation. Owen says, he that would be little in temptation, let him be much in prayer. So we must first pray. Glorious things are spoken of about prayer, and all who know anything about prayer will say that very thing, and yet the truth is not one half of its excellency and power and efficacy is known by God's people. I say this as reverently as I can, 
It's, to me, it kind of seems that it's not sure, but the lesson of prayer is kind of like flossing. You know, you, every time you go to the, the dentist, and I'm sure dentists spend their days saying, are you flossing? And probably 70, 80% of the people they see say, well, not as much as I should be. Uh, but then, you know, you get home from the dentist and you're really flossing and you're realizing, boy, my mouth feels pretty good. And, and I know, I, I know, I explicitly know in my mind that this is how I keep my mouth healthy. And we kind of know the same thing with our spiritual lives, don't we? We know that prayer is that blessing that God has given to us so that we would commune with Him, so that we would love Him, so that we would have the strength to stand in the midst of temptation. And when we do so, we take great delight in prayer. When, when the, the, the genuine, sincere believer engages in these things, he or she is glad to have done so and knows and senses and feels that there is a, a, a greater joy in communion with God that flows forth from it. So we, we pray and we hope and pray that God would reveal to us more and more the power and the necessity of prayer. So pray often, pray daily, pray against temptation. Grow in your love and enjoyment of it. Become convinced by experience how much it will do for your pursuit of holiness and obedience. And pray as the catechism ends in the confidence that your Heavenly Father hears and answers your prayer. And thus we end in that great word of faith and confidence. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we cast ourselves down before your word, before your truth. We reflect upon these things, and we know that we often only scratch the surface of what you give to us in, in, uh, in this great, wonderful blessing of prayer. We pray that we, we would pray that you would not lead us into temptation, but that we would do so from a sincere heart, not throwing the, uh, everything back onto you, but yet engaging uh, in a life that seeks your glory and honor. Uh, we pray that you would not allow us to be bold in the, uh, in the occasions of sin, to not be bold into temptation, but to, to fear what sin can do in our lives. We pray that we would be much in prayer, that we would not be much in temptation. We pray that we would rely upon you engaging your compassion and grace for us. We pray that we would exercise our faith on your promises and all that you have given to us in and through your word. We trust in these things with, with, uh, with joy in our hearts. We thank you and, and praise you uh, for this, uh, the reformed doctrine that we have, that we've seen in this catechism and our journey through it the last couple of years. We pray that it will have gone uh, to the glory of your name and to the upbuilding of your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We end by...